The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so the first question, Gemma, is it possible to find out how Maskell printed his photos? What company or persons could have printed them? Someone knows something about them. I asked the same question of the survivors who had those photos taken. And I don't know if your listeners are familiar with Polaroids, but it was a camera where the picture would shoot out right away and you would hold it for a minute and then you would see the picture show up on the piece of photo paper. So there was no place that was, because I, I queried that as well. Places can't do that because it would have been pornography, but they were all Polaroid photos. Yeah. If, and of course, if someone were to bring those photos to a facility that would be processing them, they're supposed to be reporting pornography and things like that, especially right. child pornography. Exactly. With it being a Polaroid, that was a safe thing for him yeah. to do. Yep, that was how they got around it. And of course, there were no digital cameras. They right. could have just themselves and had the picture right away. So I hope whoever asked this question is old enough to remember Polaroids or look it up. But I think most people know what that is. And also... Some Polaroids have come back some way into production. There's smaller cameras that have a similar type of instant photo. So I I think anyone at any age will know what that is. Just a camera that immediately has a photo come out. All right, so the next question is, what is the involvement of the SSNDs in the investigation of Sister Kathy's murder? And what did they do to assist the family? First of all, ND is the order that Sister Kathy belonged to. It stands for the School Sisters of Notre Dame. It's a teaching order. And they have had no involvement in assisting anybody with any School Sisters of Notre Dame that worked at TO. Several of them are still living. And the police have tried to talk to them. I've tried to talk to them. Some of the survivors have tried to talk to them. And 
presently, their mother superior has told them all not to speak to anyone, especially the media and probably Keo girls. A couple of Keo women went actually down to where the school sisters of Notre Dame live in Baltimore and waited for them to come out of mass and spoke to Sister Judith Shalm, who the, was the dean of students at Keo at the time, and she claimed she didn't remember anything. Now, I know that she had a minor traffic accident with a bump on the head, but allegedly she says that gave her amnesia. When Sister Kathy's sister, Marilyn, went to see her, she actually told Marilyn, hold on to your hats, everybody, that she was the one that told Kathy that girls were being abused. And those of you who are listening who know of Sister Judith's involvement in facilitating the abuse or being aware of it are probably shaking your heads. So we don't believe that's true. We don't believe that she was the hero telling Kathy who was being abused. We know that at least three of the girls and probably more went to Kathy themselves. So we've had no assistance from the sisters. I know the police have tried to talk to them, but they have not been forthcoming. So we're still have a big question mark and we're really hoping that the attorney general, if there is going to be an investigation and a grand jury convened, will be able to issue subpoenas. And then at least those nuns would have to show up. And I guess if they take the Fifth Amendment, they don't have to talk, but let's hope that doesn't happen. I'm hopeful, but we've gotten nothing from them at this point and we've tried very hard. Very good answer. The next question, and Jim, I've asked, I asked you this in a text message, I think, but I'll ask it on here so everyone can hear the answer. Could the grass left in Sister Kathy's car be a palm frond, I believe? Like, often save them from Palm Sunday. Okay. First of all, Kathy disappeared in November. What was left in her car was not a piece of palm. A palm frond is a piece of a palm tree. And Catholics, I guess they still do this. I have not seen palm in a while. Palm is distributed on what's called Palm Sunday, which is right before Easter, and that would be in the spring. And so at church, Catholics can take home some palm fronds. I'm sorry, it just it sounds so silly. Um and you would put those behind pictures. You stick them behind the frame of a picture. You can put it behind a crucifix. You can put it on your front door. It's a Catholic decoration. And I don't mean to be sacrilegious, but that's basically what it is. And I think when you're finished with it, um, something in my childhood is telling me you're supposed to burn it. I don't think you're just supposed to throw it away. But to get back to the original question, that was not palm. There's no palm growing anywhere in that part of southwest Baltimore County. And it wasn't wide enough to be a piece of palm. My understanding is that it would look more like a long piece of seagrass. So palm is stiff, like palm trees have 
palm fronds up there, you know, where the coconuts are. Anyway, so that's very doubtful. I'm sure the police, we saw it in the picture. I'm sure the police took it. I don't know if it was identified what it actually was, but I would say 99% no, it was not palm frond. Yeah, I had to Google it after we had that discussion, and it didn't look the same to me. But it was a very good question, I thought. Oh, that's a great question. Of course, I I didn't know what they were talking about by Poem Sunday, so I will admit that. You had to explain that to me. Okay, that's okay. All right, so the next question. Somewhat recently, there was video footage from a local news station of a team excavating the site where Maskell ordered the documents to be buried. Do we know who has that footage? where the documents, if any, were brought to after being dug up, and if there is anything salvageable? Okay, that is an excellent question. Last summer, WMAR-TV news anchor Christian Schaefer, located in the archives of the TV station, an old piece of videotape. That was on, not even on, Shane, you need to help me. What was before VC, VHS tapes? What was before that? Oh, I don't uh, know. <laughs> something eight. It was a big fat. Eight anyway, Something like know. that. Yeah. In our ongoing journey, dissecting real life mysteries, I found a perfect companion in a game that not only captivates, but also lets me step into the shoes of a detective in the glamorous 1920s, June's Journey. As someone who's delved deep into the game, playing through the intriguing scenarios of June Parker, I can personally vouch for its immersive experience. In June's Journey, you unravel the mystery of June Parker's sister's murder. Each scene is a visual and intellectual puzzle, with hidden clues scattered across beautifully crafted locations. What I've enjoyed most is the depths of the storyline. Each chapter peels back a layer of this thrilling narrative revealing danger, mystery, and romance. Besides the allure of solving mysteries, the game lets you design and customize your own luxurious estate island. Building my estate has been a delightful escape, offering a creative break from the intense narratives we tackle on the podcast. For those of you who enjoy the blend of history, mystery, and narrative depth we explore on this podcast, June's Journey offers a chance to live out those elements in a beautifully interactive setting. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. And join me in this ongoing quest to uncover hidden truths and solve complex mysteries. They had one machine at the studio, but they couldn't. They were trying to look at it. Okay, first of all, he came to Ocean City and we talked about this. And they showed it on television So the listener needs to go back and look at that again. It is on the Christian Schaefer fans web page. And it will say Holy Cross Cemetery Dig. There is no team excavating. There's nobody in that footage. They interviewed the man who buried the stuff. He was the caretaker at the cemetery. His name was Mr. Story actually his real last name and he was not excavate he was not a team doing that what they showed was the open hole with some big black trash bags 
and some papers and booklets. And we worked with a couple people that I had met last summer to identify that what was in that hole that was still there that the camera was panning over was psychological tests. And if you did a still photo of it, you could probably read some of the answers, some of the names, some of the notes on the test. Maskell was not authorized to do those tests. We actually identified the kind of test it was. And Dr. Lee Richmond, who was also in the keepers, was able to help us authenticate those tests. He would not have been given permission to administer those to girls. However, there is a doctor, uh, his name is Urban, he's still living. He was a psychologist who visited Keogh. He told me three hours a week. Talking to girls, I know it was probably more than that. He administered some of those tests. Now, we know that Maskell told some parents and some girls, because the women have told me this, that they had mental illness and that their parents needed to be aware of that. So what Maskell did was they skewed the results of those tests. I have no idea what urban patient was in that. And I know he's living and I don't want to defame his character. But my impression from talking to Keo survivors is that he was instrumental in interpreting the test. Now, a lot of the questions in the test were really inappropriate, but would be very revealing if Maskell gave these tests to girls. Some of the questions were, how likely are you to take directions? How likely would you be to be hypnotized? Do you trust people? What are your greatest fears? So as you can see from the questions, they're all leading questions. So that what was in the, that's what was in the hole. We also saw in the hole the directory, the parish directory from Holy Cross Parish, which would have had the names and addresses of all the families from Holy Cross. And that's available to most people in a parish. The other things in the black plastic bags, we don't know what those are. We did hear from Deep Throat, who is the police officer that was at a meeting at my home, told us that he did see pornography and that he saw enough to know that if they could get masculine pornography, that would be at least something they could arrest him for. But by the time he and his partner got to the church where Maskell was supposed to say mass, Maskell was gone. And we know he took off for Ireland and disappeared for a while. No, this is a long answer, but those are a lot of questions in there. So I'm just going to keep going and try to be really clear. We know that everything that was taken out, and that we're talking three truckloads, the whole was 12 wide by 12 long and 10 feet deep so that's the size of a room and the depth of a room it took it took three truckloads dump truckloads to put all the stuff in the hole i have no idea what they put it in to get it out of there but everything was taken to an evidence room 
And because Holy Cross is in the city, I'm not sure I think the cemetery is in the city as well. I believe it was taken to the Baltimore City Police Department, where it was all put in an evidence room. We heard later from different people that there was a flood during Isabella, Hurricane Isabella, and that basement was flooded. And any evidence that's flooded has to be thrown away because mold and mildew can ruin whatever the evidence is. Now, I've heard another story, which sounds intriguing to me. That specific load of stuff was moved to storage containers, which are like truck bodies, and placed someplace at Fort Meade. They have a lot of storage down there. So I actually have someone that I met through the Keepers who lives in England, and she is researching that. She's made friends with the person who's responsible for storage at Fort Meade, and she has filed a local FOIA request to see if we can find out if those materials are still there. Sharon May directed this excavation. Sharon May claims that there was nothing in that hole that represented any kind of pornography or anything inappropriate, pictures of girls. So that's a big question mark because we have two differences of opinion on that. So if Sharon May is listening, maybe she would like to share what she knows and would love to talk to her. I think that was all the answers, right, Shane? Yeah, I think you did a really good job. But also, who buries documents and anything like that? Like, I think that's so weird. He said that because there was a, don't laugh, people, because there was a ban on burning that he didn't want to break the law. Jeez. So, not like you broke any other laws, but he didn't want to break the law and get in trouble for open burning. So he buries them in a cemetery. Okay. And then he made Mr. Story fill it all in and reseed it and specifically said so that it doesn't look like anything's been dug. Hmm. I know. All right. So the next question is, are there any police from that time period who are willing to cooperate at this point? Scannell clearly knew more, but he is dead. Okay. That's it. Also an excellent question, but we have to remember we're talking about 1969. So that's just about 50 years. So if there are any police officers who were working at that time, they're going to be retired, older. I have not heard from any of them that were able to share anything with us. As you said, Skinnell is deceased. And from several women who were owners of abuse, we know that he indeed was involved in. So to answer your question, Deep Throat tried to help us. I know he's concerned for his safety and his family's. And I have not spoken to anybody else. Nobody else has come forward. I know I learned what the thin blue line means. I believe that our detectives who are working on this now are have a lot of integrity, and I really don't think they care a whole lot about 
offending somebody who was two generations ago because they want this solved too. So if there's anybody out there that has contact with any police officers that would be willing to talk to me or Shane or somebody who's involved in this case, please come forward. You can message one of us. I think that would be wonderful. But so far, it hasn't happened. Attention, friends. Are you ready to embark on a journey into the unknown this Mother's Day? Prepare to dive into the depths of your family's history with mylifeinabook.com. Each week, mylifeinabook.com sends intriguing questions, uncovering the thrilling tales of your mom's past, and then she can either type her response or use their voice-to-text feature. From daring escapes to nail-biting encounters, her life becomes an epic adventure waiting to be explored. This Mother's Day, give the gift of excitement and intrigue with mylifeinabook.com. It's a thrilling ride through your mom's life that you won't want to miss. I gave this to my mom last year, and let's just say I didn't know my mom as well as I thought I did. Check out mylifeinabook.com and use code SHANE at checkout for 10% off. Create an unforgettable gift for your mom this Mother's Day. That's mylifeinabook.com and use code SHANE for 10% off today. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so the next question is, are there any recent discussions with Coop's friend, Pete? He seems pretty tight-lipped. You saw Marilyn Radakovic, who is Kathy's sister, talk to him on the phone in The Keepers. To my knowledge, that's the last person who has been able to talk to him. We've tried to reach him. His phone is disconnected. I believe he's moved. Someone in our our grassroots investigative group spoke to him, and he just said he, he didn't want to talk about it. When Marilyn talked to him, she shared that he really he stuck to his story. He must have told it so many times, but we haven't been able to reach him. And I understand that he was very well-liked. He was a really good person. He was a good priest and that nobody really feels like he is guilty of anything or did anything wrong. I 
think there's confusion about what happened the night that he and Jerry came up to Baltimore. And from what I understand, Pete McKeon lived in Beltsville, drove to Jerry's home, which was at Manresa in Annapolis, and then drove up to Baltimore. They stopped at a diner and had dinner on the way to the movies on Route 1. They went to the 8 o'clock showing of Easy Rider at the Charles Center Movie Theater, not the Charles Theater. This was different. This was in the middle of the Charles Center. It's not there anymore. It's actually where Sister Kathy took all of us to see Romeo and Juliet, which is saying we have a friend who does a radio show, and he went down and to the library and found the newspapers from that weekend to see where Easy Rider was playing, and that's the only place it was playing. And so thank you, Michael Gerlach. He's the one that found us found it for us. He found the times. And in those days, people, you would have movies playing all day long every two hours. So it was two, four, six, eight, ten. And if they ate dinner on the way up and were back at Manresa by 1030, they would have gone to the eight o'clock showing of Easy Rider. All right. So the next question. Has anyone managed to speak to Gary? Since The Keepers aired, this is not to be in a negative way. I just wanted to know as someone so close to what. Well, let me reread this. I just yeah, want to scared. know as somebody so close, what did he think or did it spark anything else for him? Okay. Jerry Coop has, he has talked to some of us. I've spoken to him by phone. Not for probably the last year or so. Got a couple of emails from him. I believe that he is not happy with what some journalists have said about him. I don't know, Jerry. I only met him the one day that we were filming. And I did meet him again when Sister Kathy's sister came to Baltimore. But I don't know if the police or any... Newspaper folks have tried to talk to him again. We would love to have him and his wife, Diane, on this podcast. And I sent them a letter asking, but I've not gotten any return response yet. So maybe we can, I can try a little harder and see if Jerry would like to have the opportunity to just say whatever he wants. And that's how we do this show. Shane. Yeah, we would be respectful and we would let him say what he would have to say. Sure. Definitely. All right, so we'll give it another try. Yep. All right, so the next question, is Billy buried in a grave or did he get cremated? That is information that I am not going to share because Sharon might be, she would be the one to answer that, but that's really none of my business. And I don't really know a whole lot about the deceased members of people's families. So I'm going to bow out of that one because I really don't know details. And even if I did, that would not be appropriate for me to answer that question. I agree, Gemma. Thanks, right, so Shane. This, <laughs> so this question is, Gemma, you spoke in an interview about Brother Bob and referenced Robert Lentz. 
Can you say if any of the victims spoke of Brother Bob like Gene did? And did they give a description or could they identify him in a picture? Nobody else that I know, and I know a lot of survivors, have talked about Brother Bob. They've not talked about Brother Bob to me. They may have to the police. I have no idea. And as I've said many, many times before, the police cannot tell us anything unless it's something we've shared with them. So I don't know the answer to that, but a lot of listeners and people who were not survivors have had ideas about Brother Bob. We've had probably 20 different suggestions for who Brother Bob was, and this one's kind of ridiculous. Somebody even said, could it be Sister Kathy's brother-in-law, Bob Radakovic, who is like one of my dearest friends, and there's no way that man would have been Brother Bob. They weren't even living here. So we've had suggestions from people that it's a priest, that it's ex-priest, that it's a brother, that it's somebody in the mafia. Why couldn't the person be named Mortimer or some name that's not very common? Because Bob is a very common name. And there's a lot of people in this whole story that have the first name of Robert. So I have no idea. And whether or not Jean has remembered who that is or recognized a picture, that is not something I would feel comfortable asking her. And that is not something that she would share with me because that information belongs to her and the police and, who, you know, her family, not me. All right. The next two questions have to deal with Jean as well. The first one is, Jean said her uncle took her to a bar where multiple men molested her as her uncle watched. Was this possibly the bar owned by John Merzenbacher's family? Okay, that bar was a strip club over on the way on the east side of Baltimore. I can't remember what it's called. I'll think of it. But anyway... That is not likely. I don't know the answer to the question, but I think it's highly unlikely that it would have been the same place. And Mersbacher was much younger than Maskell. And I don't know at what time in her life Jean's uncle took her there. I'm imagining she was very small. So I don't think the timing would have been right or the location. The next question is, Jean's memory went blank when she heard the door click. Hypnosis by Maskell or disassociation? If it was hypnosis, may she be able to go to a professional who could reverse it? That's a great question. And I've asked this one of many of the survivors because most, if not all of them, were hypnotized by Joseph Maskell. He used either a pocket watch or a chain. He used talking to them and then the door clicking. And the answer I've gotten from professionals is that if someone is hypnotized and is subjected to trauma, as in abuse, it is very dangerous to use hypnosis to help them remember what they can't remember. Because if they have gaps in their memory because of being hypnotized, it's not safe to put them in that same uh, 
mindset, that same brain set, in order to help them fill in the gaps. It can trigger a really horrible reaction. And I've talked to a number of people who are seeing specialists in therapists in who work with abuse survivors, and all of them have talked to me about how dangerous their uh, therapists say that can be, that it's much more preferable for them to remember these things on their own to be able to fill in the gaps. And I know that Jean did dissociate, so I would imagine I'm not a therapist, I'm not a I'm not her attorney or whatever. I don't know. It could be a combination, but I do know that some of the women did dissociate in order to physically survive because of what they were being subjected to. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com.